Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I hope you've been good this year. I've been keeping an eye on you. Let's see. Oh, you were the one that wanted the Um, I still have today. I'm sorry. Who are you? Never mind who I am. But will you kindly remove your plump, busted tin of biscuits ass off of my throne? They told me to show up today to start giving out presents to the little boys and girls. Look around, Doughboy. Do you see any fucking kids in here? <laughs> well, watch your tongue. I see you're getting a lump of coal for Christmas. Oh, please. I eat coal for breakfast. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, I'm growing bored of you. I still have one more day and it's Halloween. Will someone please kindly remove this tub of lard dressed in red off of my throne so I can start reading my ever popular vocal melatonin? What? No, no. <laughs> ah, peace and quiet and nice and toasty like I like it. Oh, hello there. <laughs> I hope you didn't witness anything. If you did, don't let me know, or I'll have to cast your soul down below. Welcome to Back to Ashes. We're going to pick up where we left off. Please pay attention to your screen, as I'd like to thank those that requested these Halloween stories. Now, with all of that being said, sit back, relax, kick back, grab your snacks, or tuck in to get warm and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled... Subscriber requested Halloween Horror Stories Part 3. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'm going to read the first story and ad will play. And after that, there will be no more ads within this video. <laughs> oh, shit, I did it again. If you're new here or haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment. It is much appreciated. Oh, and by the way, listening discretion will be advised throughout this entire video. Are we ready? Let's go.
A teenage girl was asked to babysit for a family that lived in a huge, luxurious home. It was her first evening on the job, and after she put the children to bed upstairs, she sat down in front of the TV. But no sooner had she settled down there, the phone rang. The caller was a man, gasping and laughing maniacally. He asked, <laughs> Have you been up to check the children? The babysitter hung up, convinced that her friends were playing a joke on her. But the man called back again and again. She answered, Have you been up to check the children? Again, she hung up, now frightened. But the man called a third time. This time he said, Don't worry about it. I've taken care of the kids. Now I'm coming for you. By now, the babysitter was truly terrified. She called the police and reported the calls. The police told her to try to distract the man the next time he phoned to give them time to trace the call. As expected, the man called back. The babysitter begged him to leave her alone, thus keeping him on the line for longer. Eventually, he hung up. Immediately, the phone rang again. This time, it was the police. Leave the house fast. The calls are coming from upstairs. Why I Stay Away From Haunted Houses I still remember how the screen door slammed that October evening. My foster father's voice, however, was even louder as he shouted after me. Just where in the hell do you boys think you're going? I gestured over my shoulder at my friend Brett's car, idling at the end of the gravel driveway. I was going to a haunted house with some friends after school. I explained over the rumble of the motor. Over my dead body? Frank yelled. Get back up here. I couldn't understand what I'd done to make Frank... Lytle so angry. He and my foster mother, Pam, were a little rough around the edges, but they weren't the exploiters or religious nut jobs that I'd feared when I was first put into foster care. They'd been nothing but kind to me so far, although the look on my foster father's face suggested that was all about to change. I wasn't scared of Frank Lytle but I was afraid of what might happen if my new family rejected me. Giving up a haunted house seemed like a small price to pay to avoid the other kind of foster home. I shook my head at Brett. He rolled his eyes and drove off in a cloud of exhaust fumes, taking my hopes of fitting in at my new school with him. From now on, I'd be known as the loser who didn't celebrate Halloween. I dragged my feet on the way back to the porch, but all my irritation disappeared when I saw my foster father up close. He'd fallen, rather than sat, on the rocking chair beside the door. He was watching me with the shell-shocked pale expression of a man who just narrowly avoided a gruesome accident. You ever been to one of those things before? He asked. A haunted house, I mean. I shook my head. 
That was part of the reason why I was so eager to go. They got all kinds now. One with mechanical monsters. Ones where people in masks can jump out and grab you. At some of them, you got to sign a waiver saying they're not responsible for whatever they do to you. You really sure you want to go to a place like that? I haven't thought about it, but I doubted that the local spooky attractions in the small town where the Lytles lived was known for over-the-top horror. In fact, the bright orange flyer I found had said that the place was kid-friendly. Frank rambled on. Of course, most places just put out those warnings for show. If they ever really did hurt anybody, they'd be out of business overnight. Provided that they were ever really in business to begin with. I mean, you never know for sure who those masked figures are, do you? The ones who you've given permission to come out of the dark, touch you, maybe even drag you off someplace. Sure, it might just be an underpaid actor in a plastic costume, but can you really be sure? I've heard rumors like that before. Campfire stories that serial killers in costumes who snuck into Halloween attractions to hunt their victims. I've never paid them much attention, but the look on Frank's face made me consider. I'm not talking about a couple of psychopaths here. What I want you to think about is this. Why do haunted houses exist? I shrugged. I didn't know where this bizarre conversation was going. And at this point, I wasn't sure I wanted to find out, but Frank was not done. Don't think I can't see the appeal. Of course, getting scared is sort of fun. If afterwards you walk back out into the same ordinary world you left behind. But what if you don't? What if it's the houses that want people to go inside and not the other way around? I took a deep breath. So my foster father thought that buildings can have personalities. They were worse kinds of crazy to be. I reminded myself and looked wistfully down the country road where the fumes of Brett's car still lingered. This was my life now, and I'd have to make the best of it. I muttered an apology and moved toward the door, telling myself that I should count my blessings. But Frank's hand wrapped around my wrist like a claw. Ugh, look. I'm willing to bet that nothing would have happened if you boys had gone to the haunted house tonight. People visit haunted houses all the time, right? Nothing happens to them. Well, most of them. But if it did, would anyone notice the pattern? Think about it. If a cop or university professor suggested researching haunted house disappearances, they'd be laughed out of a job. So people look away and it keeps happening. Frank drank a swig of water like a man throwing back a shot, and for the first time, I wondered rather the water that he always carried with him was really a substitute for a different sort of bottle. Halloween wasn't always the big flashy holiday that it is today. When I was your age, we had a few hay bales and pumpkins in front of the town hall. Some cardboard witches in the windows of the elementary school, and that was about it. 
If you wanted something fancy, like a rubber mask or a costume party, you had to go to the big city, Frank sighed. I shouldn't have yelled at you, but when I saw your buddy pull up in his car, I thought back to the Halloween night when my two best friends and I took that drive, and we went to our first haunted house. Cassie and Tyler didn't have many friends. I didn't either. That might have been the only thing the three of us had in common, but it was enough. See, Casey's dad never did anything but drink and cause trouble. And most folks figured that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Tyler, on the other hand, Frank blushed. Well, the only thing people had against him was that the color of his mama's skin was different from his daddy's. The two of them had been dating for years, which is about as serious as it gets in high school, when they adopted me into the little group. I don't know why. Hell, maybe they were just bored. Either way, with Tyler and Casey, I finally started doing the sort of things I always imagined teenagers did. Smoking in the park, walking down the railroad tracks, swimming in the river in summer, and having plans for Halloween night. That's the worst part. The part that still stings. The haunted house was my idea. We had it all planned out. Tyler's mom was the editor for some magazine, and a grateful author had sent her some expensive liquor as a thank you gift. Tyler would steal a bottle and give it to Cassie, who would leave it out for her dad after school. By 6 p.m., he'd be blackout drunk, and Cassie would snatch his keys and pick us up on the way out of town. We'd go to the city. There, we'd trick-or-treat with little kids, visit a haunted house, try to sneak into some college parties, with the full moon rising and that fall wind in our hair. It felt like anything could happen. We had it all planned out, Frank repeated and shook his head. <sighs> After buying some silly discount masks and gorging ourselves on candy bars from the rich neighborhoods, we headed for the haunted house. We hadn't kept track of time and Cassie was afraid we wouldn't get there before it closed, not to mention the line. None of us were used to the city and just finding a place to park among all those cars was a real nightmare. It felt like the house, with its creepy lighting effects and soundtrack of evil laughter, was teasing us. Casey left the car in front of a fire hydrant, and we took off down the sidewalk, hoping we weren't too late. The ticket guy was a kid our age in zombie face paint and an oversized pinstripe purple suit. He told us that the house closed at half an hour before midnight and we were three minutes too late. All he wanted to do was finish cleaning up and go home, but I guess the looks on our faces made him change his mind. He sighed, took our money, and pulled back the red velvet rope in front of the front porch stairs. This place had probably been some rich farmer's estate, at least at one point in time. Now it was gray, gaunt, and rickety, there was something hungry about the way it loomed over us as we walked inside. 
The double doors creaked open automatically. A nice touch, I thought. And we stepped into a hallway lit only by creepy blue bulbs. Tyler made a joke about what shows up in black light. We all jumped a little and laughed when the door slammed shut behind us. It must have been a pretty fancy house in its day, but the hallway Tyler, Cassie, and I walked down was bare except for plastic skeletons and fake cobwebs. It had a sad, barren look to it, like whoever had set up the haunted house didn't have the budget to decorate it the way that it deserved. Halloween theme songs played from a speaker somewhere, and candles flickered in a couple jack-o'-lanterns. That was about it. The three of us were pretty disappointed. We'd expected movie-quality effects, not cheap junk that we could have bought at the dollar store back in town. We'd almost reached the staircase at the far end of the hallway when a laughing woman with a rope around her neck fell from the ceiling. The rope brought her to a halt just above our heads, and we all screamed. Up close, it was clear that we were just looking at a mannequin dressed up like a witch. But that wasn't what startled me. See, I would have sworn that what I saw was Cassie, eyeless and bone-thin, like she'd been falling so long she starved to death. Tyler gave the mannequin a shove and chuckled as it swung on its rope. Cassie shushed him. It didn't seem right, disturbing the silence like that. The echoes were all distorted, like the hallway was somehow bigger than it looked. I put my foot on the first step of the staircase and everything went black. Suddenly, I was falling. Not down these steps, but different ones. Stairs so steep, I could feel the wind around me as I tumbled through the darkness. When I looked up, Cassie had caught me. There were no twisted stairs here, just the dim lobby of a cheap haunted house. I told the other two that I'd race them to the second floor. When we were panting by this time, we got to the top, even though it couldn't have taken that long. The theme up there was a classic monsters, a mummy that popped out of a broom closet, rubber bats bouncing from the ceiling, a mechanical zombie that set up from its coffin, as we passed by. Nothing scary enough to even make us look twice. Nothing like what happened to me on those stairs. An arrow pointed in pink blood directed us to a door on the left, and Tyler yanked the door open impatiently. We were bored already, eager to be done with this, and worried about the car, but what we saw behind that door stopped us in our tracks. It was... Just an ordinary living room. No decorations, no cheesy themes. Just a gramophone. Some armchairs, a ticking wall clock in the shape of a cat with big eyes that swung from side to side. It was a near-perfect replica of how people must have lived almost a century ago, except that it looked brand new. There were even cigars burning in an ashtray and a half-finished glass of brandy. Like whoever was living here would be back any minute. It felt obscene. 
like we were invading someone's privacy and trespassing somewhere we shouldn't. I was about to suggest that we turn back when the door slammed and locked behind us. I knew we had to cross that eerie room to leave it, but even so, it was hard to take that first step. The tiny pink flowers on the hideous wallpaper seemed to squirm like tiny fingers, and I had an awful feeling that we were being watched from the far corner of the room. Suddenly, the gramophone started playing by itself, but the noise coming out of it wasn't music. It was us, Tyler and Cassie and I, screaming, arguing, shouting in terror about bruises and grabbing hands. We'd never spoken these words in our lives. The three of us looked at each other and all had the same thought. Get out of here as quickly as possible. The gramophone kept getting louder and louder. I thought my ears would bleed before we got to the door on the other side of the room. But once we were through it, the noise stopped completely. And all the lights went out. We closed the door behind us and leaned against it, too scared to walk. Tyler started to say something about how maybe it was all part of the act, but the words died in his throat, especially after he looked around at where we were. It was a dim, dirty kitchen. If the room we'd left had been something out of the last century, this one was all 1970s. Dark wood cupboards pea-green walls, puke-yellow linoleum. The only thing the two had in common was the inescapable lingering feeling that we were not supposed to be there, like nothing was leading us into its trap, hunting us. Once when I was a kid, the basketball I was playing with rolled under a neighbor's porch. I crawled in after it without thinking, and as I was feeling around the cobwebby dark, something growled behind me. I never found out what it was. A stray dog, a mountain lion, or maybe even just a rabid raccoon. But I never felt that kind of fear again until I stepped into that nasty little kitchen. Like I'd gotten myself trapped in a cramped place with something hungry and horrible. There were no windows and only one door. We had no choice but to keep going deeper into this house, if that's what it was. There was something wrong about the air in there. It seemed to be moving, and it wasn't until we approached the dripping faucet that I realized what it was. The air was buzzing with thousands of tiny flies. Cassie clamped a hand over her mouth and leaned over the sink to see what they were coming from. Then she groaned and bolted for the door. Tyler followed her, slipping in a puddle of something rust-colored and sticky that was coming from the fridge. And then I followed. Our footsteps had woken the place up somehow. There was a bang from inside and cabinets, then another, so hard that it shook. And I realized that I absolutely could not handle seeing whatever it was come out of there. We shoved each other through the door just in time and felt a slam when something crashed into it behind us. More came, 
hard enough to rattle the door on its hinges, but it held. We were in what looked like a children's nursery. Bright, wide, smiling zoo animals painted on the walls. Small bed topped with plain white sheets. A nightlight in the shape of a grinning plastic moon. It was dead silent, like the room was waiting for us. Then, all of a sudden, four almost human shapes set up beneath the covers. We froze, too scared to move. Then, something reached out from beneath the bed and tried to pull me under. I yelped in pain, kicked it off, and ran. One of the doors was pressed shut behind us. I rolled up my cuff of my jean and found a burn mark in the shape of a tiny hand with too many fingers. It was still painfully cold to the touch. Cassie started yelling, demanding to be let out, shouting that we'd never agree to let anyone touch us. But she stopped mid-sentence. It was the same argument that we heard on the gramophone when we first walked into this nightmare. The realization shocked us into silence, and we finally began to take in our surroundings. We were in another hallway, but this one didn't have an end. The ugly yellow wallpaper and old-fashioned doors went on forever in both directions. Just looking at it made me want to grab onto the floor, like at any minute, the hallway would tilt, and I'd slide down the carpet into the abyss. I was still trying to get my head around it when the doorknob of the room we'd left began to turn. There was rustling on the other side, fingers filling around the gaps and hinges. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Tyler started pulling on one doorknob after another, but they were all locked. At the pace he was going, we struggled to keep up with him. He started knocking instead swearing that he could hear movement and voices on the other side of the doors. He yelled and pleaded, begging to be let in. Then, when Cassie and I were too far away from him to help, he got his wish. The door in front of Tyler swung open, and I saw the terror on his face for just a split second before he was sucked inside. The door shut and locked itself behind him, but Cassie and I weren't going to let that stop us. I kicked the door until my foot went through it, and then I howled in pain. There was nothing but a hole on the other side. It was like the house had swallowed Tyler up. Even worse, we had no idea where we were. The doors were all identical, and none of us had thought to mark the point that we started from. Cassie just shut down, holding her head in her hands and muttering about how this couldn't be fucking happening to her. I remember thinking at this rate, it wouldn't be long before both of us went fucking crazy 
and maybe that was the point. Then I heard the hinges creaking. By the time I spun around, the door was wide open. There was nothing but darkness on the other side. At least that's what I thought at first. Once I got closer, though, I saw the stairs. Narrow, uneven, with a plunge into the blackness on either side. And no guardrail. Did I mention that I'm scared of heights? Well, I am. I couldn't do it. I told Cassie that I'd starve to death in the endless hallway before I'd make myself climb down there, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. Through a mix of pleading, insults, and holding my hand, she finally got me moving, even though I had to crawl backwards to do it. Those steep, jagged stairs were made of something slick and cold as ice. A black wind blew around us as we crawled downwards. It felt like being on the edge of a mountain peak, even though I knew that was impossible. We were still indoors, weren't we? Or maybe, on the other hand, we hadn't been in that cheap haunted house for a long time. Just maybe we'd been swallowed by some place else. Before long, the stairs were so tall and narrow that it was almost like being on a ladder above empty space. I was so fucking tense that I started shaking. And I guess it's no surprise. I slipped. I slid downward, unable to grab on the narrow steps and knowing that at any second I might fall into the nothingness on either side, but Cassie caught me. It happened exactly as I'd envisioned it earlier that night, just like the yelling that we heard on the gramophone. So what about the mannequin? The one that had looked like Cassie, long, dead, and falling through empty space, clinging to the almost vertical steps. I shouted my friend's name, even though I knew that it was already too late. By grabbing me, she unbalanced herself and gone over the edge. She probably didn't even have time to scream. Cassie had been so sure that the stairs were our way out. But what if they had been a trap all along? After all, we hadn't opened the door to the darkness the house had. I climbed back up the stairs as quickly as I dared and found the hallway above exactly as I had left it. Well, not exactly. There was an end to it on either side, and there were sounds. Cars driving by outside, the hum of a heating system, and the teenager who'd taken our tickets yelling about how I wasn't supposed to be back there. And anyway, the haunted house was closed. Of course, I filed a police report. A lot of good, that did. When I told them what had happened, they decided my friends and I were junkies on a bad trip. Later, they kicked around the idea that we were in a some kind of satanic cult and that I'd killed them myself. In the end, I guess they just decided that the whole thing was too complicated and strange to be even bothered with. Tyler's family moved away without a word to anyone, and Cassie's dad drank himself to death before Christmas. The neighbor said at night he would scream out her name like he didn't know she was gone. 
I stayed where I was and did my best to figure out the whole damn thing. As you can see, it hasn't fucking worked out. The sun had set while Frank had told me the story, and in the twilight gloom, he looked almost like a ghost himself. I don't know what to say. I mumbled something about how it was getting cold on the porch and headed for the screen door. I'm not asking you to believe everything you hear, Frank smiled. Just promise me that, as long as you live under my roof, you'll stay away from haunted houses. I nodded, and Frank pulled himself up from his rocking chair to follow me inside for supper. That's when I noticed the scar on his ankle. A scar in the shape of a small, six-figured hand. Hiking the Appalachian Trail in Pennsylvania for a weekend, 2006, and my brother and I came across a young man who had hung himself. We sprinted up to the bluff where he was strung up. I wrapped my arms around his waist to take weight off the neck, while my brother cut him down with his leatherman. He had thrown the rope up over a tall branch and lashed it off with a clove hitch at the trunk like you'd hang a bear bag, must have climbed the branches and dropped once laced in. We probably shouldn't have even tried. He was dead for some time before we happened across him. Fortunately, no critters had come to tear him apart before we found him. It would have only gotten grislier from there. We called 911 and did our trip pretty damn quick. I don't know why we tried. It was very obvious. He had been dead for some time. Don't know how long. He was very cold and smelt pretty bad. Intuition to help someone and adrenaline that clouds your judgment, I guess. It was kind of a fucked up day, so I don't really remember my thought process. I've never lived in a haunted house, but my mother did as a teen. Other houses on her street had strange things going on, too. A few homes away from her lived a family. One night, the daughter went to bed with a bad headache. The next day, she was dead. She had passed away from an aneurysm. After her funeral, the family went away to get their minds off the tragedy and the father asked my uncle, my mom's brother, to check on their pets. My mom and dad, who were dating at the time, went with him. My mother had heard that there was a grand piano and she wanted to play it. My dad was studying to be a veterinarian. After entering the house, my uncle and my father headed to the basement to see the animals, and my mother went to the piano on the ground floor. She was playing it when she felt something brush her ankles. She thought a cat must have left the basement and walked past her. She kept playing, and then she felt it again. She looked under the piano and saw nothing. When she started playing again, she felt hands clasp her legs tightly. 
She dashed to the basement door, called my uncle and father, and waited for them. Back outside, my uncle could tell my mom was rattled and asked what was wrong. She told him what had happened, and he turned white. He told her the daughter who had died used to play a game with her father. When he played the piano, she'd crawl underneath and grab his ankles and push his feet up and down on the pedals. Alrighty, dear listeners, this next segment I'm going to read is true hospital ghost stories told by the nurses that used to work there. I don't know about you, but stories like this creep me the hell out. I will do eight of these stories, numbering them as I go. Now, back to the stories. Number one, The Vanishing Girl. I was a new nurse at our hospital and only been working there a couple of months. I had brought a patient of mine up to the day surgery from the ER for an endoscopy and they called back down and asked me to bring up their family because she only spoke Italian and not enough English. And they needed someone to consent for the procedure. After dropping them off, I walked past the waiting room to head back down to the hall to the elevators. I took a back way to get to the ER and the hallways are all deserted. It used to be the pediatric wing of the hospital, but that is all shut down for years and the rooms are just empty and full of broken equipment and beds and crap. As I reached the old nurse's station at the T-junction between the pediatric hallway and the hallway that goes to the elevators. I saw a little girl standing across from the nurse's station further down the hall. She had big pigtails, was wearing a brown dress, white shoes, holding a teddy bear. I thought perhaps she was a family member who had walked away from the day surgery waiting room. I was concerned that she would go into one of the rooms to get hurt or lost, so I said, Hey, little girl, what are you doing? You don't need to be over there. You're going to get hurt. And I walked around the nursing station to go grab her hand and bring her back. I shit you not. She vanished as I got about 15 feet away from her. Every hair on my body stood up straight. And I turned and ran like a bat out of hell down to the elevator. I pounded that button for what seemed like an eternity until the elevator got to the floor. As I got back to the ER, I walked up to the nurse's desk, white as a sheet, and one of the older nurses looked at me and said, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? I remember babbling like an idiot as I tried to tell them what had happened. After listening to me for a moment or two, the nurse said, Oh, you see the little girl ghost? She's been around here for years. And I remember saying, Well, thanks for telling me that after she has already scared the living shit out of me. Apparently, the ghost has even been seen down in the ER, ducking in and out of patients' rooms and peeking around curtains. My wife worked up on the seventh floor, and she said that one time on nights, a whole row of patient rooms started yelling about a little girl that was running around in the rooms. I guess she really does get around. 
Number two, like the dead are leaving the hospital. I work in intensive care, a small community hospital. We have a nine bed unit that is completely closed off from the medical floor via two doorways. Two nights ago, we were all sitting at our station, charting, when we all heard footsteps coming down the hallway. It's a completely open unit where you can see every room from everywhere. No one was in the unit with us. CT is below us and they close at 5, unless an emergency comes in. And we only have people on the second floor. The third is used as storage, so no one was above us. It happened two or three times. Then, last night, cupboard doors kept opening and shutting in the two empty rooms. I finally asked my coworker, what the fuck was going on? And she told me that it usually happens after someone passes, especially if it was sudden. We had two codes last week that we lost. And I guess everyone has had weird stuff happening for a couple of days. Number three, don't let them take me. The best I have heard is from a nurse who said that one night she was floated to oncology at the hospital she used to work at. She was given a patient who was passing away and had been unconscious for several days. At one point during the night, the nurse went into the room and the patient was on top of the bed and looked at her and said, Don't let them take me. The nurse was freaked out and asked her who was going to take her. And she said that black thing up there and pointed up into the air. The patient died within minutes. Number four, in two places at once. I used to work in a state institute for developmentally disabled. We were temp relocated to another building for remodeling of our building. Anyways, I was working one night, second shift. We had a locked PICA unit. I saw one of the residents walking down the hall, very distinct gait and a very distinct yellow t-shirt with a happy face on it. I went into the ward to let the staff know that they had an escapee. This was a serious situation because this particular resident, Larry, would ingest absolutely anything, from clothing to pens to belts to ugh, a bird's head. Literally anything. He was also very reluctant to go back to his homeward, hence why I didn't bring him back myself. He needed two escorts. When we got back into the hall, less than 15 seconds later, Larry was gone. We searched the entire building. Outside, downstairs, all wards. He was nowhere to be found. This whole search lasted less than 10 minutes because I had all extra staff looking for him. I was just about to call the house supervisor to let her know that we lost someone when out from the bathroom walks Larry with one of the staff. He had been getting his bath in the bathroom for the last 30 minutes or so. Kind of freaky. I absolutely, without a doubt, saw Larry in the hallway. I never would have short-staffed the wards like this if I hadn't seen him. Like I said... Very distinctive gait, look, clothing. 
I took a lot of raising that night. They all thought that I was crazy. Anyways, come to find out the next day after the story goes around that I'm crazy. Larry had an identical twin brother who died in that building ten years previously. Number 5. Nurse Betty I was working in the NICU when we had a threat of a tornado. Some nurses got pulled to go to a sister hospital in town to assist in the disaster plan. When all was over, one of the nurses returned with this story. She was assisting the nurses in giving some meds before pulling all into the hallway. Every patient she went to said they already had their meds from that nice nurse in the white uniform and hat. She realized after she left that it's been a while since a nurse has worn a hat. That story revealed the urban legend of Nurse Betty. Story goes she had an affair with a married MD, became pregnant, then agreed to allow him to perform an abortion on her on the second floor OR room. She died and he went to jail. She never left the hospital and was seen frequently. The local newspaper would do an article on her every year around Halloween on her sightings. The hospital has since been replaced with college dorms. Hmm, I wonder if any students have seen her. Number 6. Rocking Mary The story of Rocking Mary we closed room 12 in our MICU because just about every patient that has been there since May died. Complaints of seeing a woman and wearing a white habit rocking back and forth by their bedside. Apparently, this nurse never makes eye contact, just stares outside the window, which happens to be on the patient left side, over their head. This window overlooks the hospital cemetery where nuns that have died were buried. Mary was a nun that died of a car accident outside the hospital back in the 50s. She was only about 30 years old and all patients described her as a young woman. We all thought that it was the sundown syndrome. Anyways, since then, room 12 became our storage room because no one goes in by themselves unless it is absolutely critical. Number 7. We had a patient chronic CHFer, always on the call button, hated being on fluid restrictions, you know the type. The nurses have to take turns during the shift answering the call button so the primary can actually do their work. And this was a frequent flyer because he was very chronic, very borderline, and the hospital was the only place he wouldn't fluid overload. I worked 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. He died at about 8 p.m. Oh, the look on his face like, how could you let me die? Like, it was our fault. Anyway, family came and gone by 9 p.m. Funeral home gone at 9.30 p.m. About 10 p.m., the call button starts going off. I was there call button going off every five minutes. One of the nurses was a very spiritual girl. At about 2 a.m., after like four hours of this, Nurse Mary snaps, Enough! 
She walks down to the room and practically screams into the empty room. Mr. X, you have died. You can't be in here bothering us anymore. Move along. In the name of Jesus, I'm exercising you from the plane of existence. Go to the light and be happy. And I kid you not, the call button stopped going off then and there. Number 8. It was identical. I work on a coordinary care unit with mostly post-heart attack patients. My charge nurse told us the story, not sure if she's just messing with us, but she sounded pretty serious. So our unit was empty. We consolidated our last couple patients onto the ICU because we had low PT senses. My charge nurse was over in CCU at the nurse's station doing something on the computer. All of our rooms were empty. We heard a bedside monitor alarming, so we went into the room where the noise was coming from. And there was an EKG strip coming out of the bedside printer, which we never used, by the way. And it was a long, continuing strip of clear VTAC. She said she had just coded someone there the week before who had been in VT. Talk about creepy as fuck. Okay, this was my experience. It's a super long story that happened mainly over a week ago, with a prelude to the whole thing beginning a few months before everything crazy went down. So, apologies for the long read. It's worth it, though. My friends still often bring it up, and to this day, my hands and feet get clammy just talking about it. My first experience with the Ouija board was at a friend of a friend's house. I was there with my best friend and her boyfriend at the time. My best friend, we'll call her Jessa, had grown up in this house which was notoriously haunted. The woman who lived there would wake up with scratches on their backs. They would routinely see the ghost of a little boy. Crazy shit all the damn time. Anyway. Jessa's childhood friend moved in there when the family moved out. We were there for her housewarming party. Jessa's friend had a board. Jessa and I are both pretty spiritual and neither one of us wanted to touch it. Nothing has happened so Chuck convinced us to do it, saying we were witchy. As soon as we touched it, the cursor started moving. At first, it was saying it was a little boy. Jessa and I look at each other like, oh, fuck. Both of us knowing about the little boy in the house. Suddenly, Chuck was like, oh, man, did you guys feel that? Yeah, we all felt it. The air became thick like, hard to breathe. He described exactly what I felt. It was almost like the air was thick fog of mist, but it was still dry. The words started spelling things like slut, fuck her, cheater, bitch, fuck you, he fucked her. 
The cursor was moving more rapidly with every word. Finally, Jessa was like, Okay, stop. And the pointer stopped, dead in its tracks. It stopped too abruptly that my hands slipped off. So I touched it again. It slowly dragged to the bottom of the board, ending on goodbye. Months later, I was crashing at a friend's place, K&J. They had a basement apartment and I was crashing their couch. The guys invited over some girls and I didn't know and they wanted to try using a Ouija board. I did not want to touch it, but it wasn't working, so I finally gave in and decided to try it. As soon as I touched it, the pointer started to move. I was touching the pointer with my friend Kay. The cursing was moving really slowly, so as a game I said, move faster, and it started moving quickly. I kept saying faster, and eventually... It was moving so fast, my friend touching the cursor was saying, This isn't funny, as if I was moving it. I said I wasn't moving it, and he freaked out, releasing the board, and the pointer went shooting across the room. At that point, we were all pretty convinced it was real. One of the girls wanted to see more, so we grabbed the cursor and started again. So... Then the board asks to speak to a girl named Haley. The board says, Family. Father. And proceeds to spell her dad's name. She starts freaking out. The board says it's sorry about her dad. That her dad is a drug addict and her mom's a drunk. It says she has to leave her house because her dad is angry. Haley starts crying and freaking out. The board says goodbye. We get back to the apartment and Haley is crying like a baby. She tells us that her dad is a coke dealer and her mom is drunk all the time. Her home life is awful. Her dad would frequently get drunk and coked up and beat on her. She was only 16 or 17 at the time. K and J say she can stay at their place too. Interestingly... Months later, Haley's mom dropped her off at the apartment complex and told Haley that her great-grandfather helped build this place. She said he lived there his whole life and died there. After that night, I started reading about Ouija boards. A couple nights later, I went to visit my best friend and her boyfriend at this place, which was walking distance to my apartment. I told them about the whole thing. He says he wants to try it too. Reluctantly, Jessa and I agree, keeping in mind we had all been drinking whiskey. Yes, I know, this is altogether an awful idea. The cursor starts spelling out. Trees. Broken glass. Suddenly, it starts getting violent, spelling out. R-A-P-E. Fuck her teeth. Jessa and I tell it to stop and we say goodbye. The cursor drags to goodbye and we put the board away. Suddenly, Chuck is like, Oh shit, dude, you're not walking home. He then explains his interpretation of what the board was saying. On my walk to my friend's place, like I said, they lived in a basement apartment, so instead of walking through the halls, 
we just go to the living room window and climb in. To get to the window, I would cut through the back clearing where there were tall trees all over. He's convinced that there are bad people in there on that night and that if I walked home, I would get sexually assaulted, hence the fuck her teeth shit. Needless to say, after that visual, I stayed over. The next morning when I walked through the clearing, there were broken glass bottles all over the place. My friend said they had heard people drinking out there all night. Anyway, I moved out and Haley and I became friends. Kay brought the board over as a housewarming gift. One day, my cousin came over to the apartment with her boyfriend at the time. Her boyfriend notices the board in the corner. He asks me about it, and I laugh and tell him the whole story. His eyes got all wide, and he asks if he can play with it. Being kind of stoned, I agreed, and he started asking it questions. The pointer starts spelling Jess's name. We all get in the car and head over to her place. She's not home, but Chuck is. I left the board in the car with my cousin and her boyfriend and go to talk to Chuck. He said Jessa was at work until 9 that night, but we could come in and wait for her. After the last incident, he was interested to see what was going on. When I got to the car, my cousin and her boyfriend said they heard fingers tapping, as if something were waiting impatiently for me to get back. We sat around waiting for a while when Chuck brings out his own board from the last time I was over. We use it and it says, Jessa, Jessa, and pointing to the no, then to the sun in the corner of the board. Over and over, no sun, no sun. Eventually, I figured that it was saying no light. I asked if it wanted me to shut off the light, and I said, No, we're not going to do that. I had read that bad spirits do not like the light. Finally, when Jessa got home, she said she was too tired, and I didn't want to try using it. We agreed to leave it alone and brought the board home. I didn't like having it at my house, so the next time I went to visit Haley and Kay and Jay's place, I brought it back. She said she wanted to try it one more time, and then we would get rid of it. I agreed at this point. I clearly am addicted to it for some reason. So Haley and I are at the basement apartment, climbing out the window for cigarettes near the back clearing with the trees. We go back in and use the board. The board starts spelling out Haley's name, and this time the spirit says its name is Maria. Haley immediately starts to cry and says, That's not funny. I had no idea why or what was going on, but the board keeps saying things. It's saying, Tell them I miss them. Tell them I miss them. I'm here. I love them. As Haley is crying, she explained that her best friend's mom, Maria, had died a year ago. I remember the death. It was big news in our high school. Suddenly, the cursor moved and spelled my name. 
I asked who it was and the cursor spelled D-E-B. I read that bad spirits cannot tell other names because they don't have one. If a spirit can spell a name, that it's usually a good one. I ask how I know her and she says she's my spirit guide. Haley says, how do we know you're real? And the cursor spells cigarette. And I said, uh, what do you mean? And it says window. We look at each other and our hearts sink. I'm like, she knows we smoke outside. I said, how will we know? And she said, trees. I am like, uh, <laughs> fuck that. And Haley says, we have to do it. So, we're smoking outside. I'm looking into the forest, sweating balls in fear, thinking I'm going to see a fucking demon face in the branches or something. Eventually, we relax, and then Haley, mid-sentence, her face drops and goes white. And she's like, fuck, 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 get inside now. I fucking toss my cigarette and jump in the window. We close the blinds and we're breathing super heavy. I'm like, what the fuck happened? She says that behind me in the distance, there was a big ass like 100 foot tall tree. There was no wind. I remember this because I was watching my cigarette smoke go directly up and I was blowing perfect O's without them disappearing. She says the tree was still then suddenly the whole tree, including the trunk, moved back and forth, then went back to perfectly still. I was like, oh, hell no. And after a while of freaking out, sat back at the board. When we put our fingers on it, it said, did you see? We fucking freaked out. It was spelling, it's okay, I love you, it's okay. Don't be scared. Finally, I ask it to speak to only me and for Haley to go away. Haley jokingly said, Oh, you don't like me? And the board said, Don't be sad. This board closes pretty weak because in my mind, nothing really came out of it. When I tried to use the board on my own, nothing happened. I couldn't move it without the help of Haley, and my spirit guide couldn't communicate with me. I like to think it was real and my spirit guide Deb was just trying to get me off the board. As I said, we had talked about it a lot and were using it quite a bit. I sometimes wonder what Deb wanted to tell me. Anyways, that's it. I haven't touched one to this day. I do have a slight obsession with making Ouija boards as art. From the moment this pretty house is yours, bearing your name, holding your things, it will begin to rot. You won't notice at first as you arrange furniture and family photographs and eclectic art market prints. As you plan your perfect new life, you will see only promise as you grin wickedly in fur. 
We haven't done it in this room either. Sweating and moaning, you will miss the first whisper of decay. A bulging inch of storm sky colored paint. God, I love the light. This room is beautiful. The ninth stair creaks a bit. Have you noticed? The way it sags. After a summer rain beats comfort on the curving copper of the porch roof, a railing begins to give just slightly, pliable like leather. It keeps the impression of your curious finger. You'll get to it later. You make a note. Wood putty, sandpaper, a tool to gouge, a matching stain. When you are out, gardening together, you noticed your parents' eyes in passing. Have they always been this enthralling? This life of soul? This, this house interjects from the corner of your eye, puckered and pocked, slothing paint, dingy and spotted with neglect. You hadn't noticed. Your flowers are dying. Light is wrong. Another distraction. This house is spurned in growing rage like fungus in its unseen hollows. What are you doing? Tearing away this rotted wood. Maybe we should hire someone, right? They smile, but in the edges of familiarity, you see it. Disdain. Like the butterfly in the cyclone, the kern of enmity is nurtured. I'm pregnant. Are you even listening? Fuck. Are you? The ceiling is pregnant with you, beating with moisture and a shadow of quiet growth. This house resents you, loathes it. You said you would fix the fucking stairs. There is a scar seven months in the making in a belly that once swelled and moved. Now there is a memory of a fall, of wood too soft to bear another step. Another day, another month. The doorways bend, the straightness leans. The only steadfast beam entreats the caress of a gently swing rope. A bit of seepage through the cracks. A pair of feet aloft that always love the sand. A wailing cry, a kiss goodbye, a single round, a coat of red to dress the walls inside. This house was dead before you brought your cheery little lives, your aspirations, your indifference. Now, you all will rot as one. Just today, my friend and I were hiking on some abandoned and unused land. It's really beautiful, with lakes, cliffs, and tons of trees. The hike was going really well, but close to dark, it turned around. My friend whispered to me that they had been thinking of skinwalkers and couldn't stop. This got me thinking of the same, and we decided to head back to the car to eliminate any risks. A few minutes into the hike back, we both got horrible feelings, and it became apparent that we were not alone. We kept making our way back to the car as fast as we could, but it 
kept getting worse. Both of us experienced blurred vision and the air suddenly got thick and had a hum to it. It also became incredibly hard to move and we both experienced an intense urge to lay down and stop hiking. We came across an area we hadn't yet hiked though, but was adjacent to where we were. And there were so many deer prints in every direction, as if a deer had been rapidly pacing there and human footprints on the other side of that scramble. There wasn't a clear starting point to the footprints and no evidence of other hikers for miles. The trek back to the car seemed to take five minutes and three hours simultaneously. So we have no clue how long it took. Neither of us has felt this sense of dread or been this disoriented before. Do you think we had a close encounter with a skinwalker or was it something else entirely? I do not have the background knowledge to say what exactly it could be. We're in eastern Kansas, if that helps. Any information or ideas are appreciated. To you, from your dear sister, Courtney. Hey, it's been a while since we moved away. And since I'm going on a two-week vacation... I need you to take care of my house for me, okay? I know it might be gloomy staying in a place like mine without me. Eh, well then, I, I need you to do this for me. And also, I, I kind of got used to having uncommon things to happen here. So, to ensure your own safety, here is a list of rules that you must follow while taking care of my house. Rule number one. To start... When you enter the house, poke your finger and let the blood drip into the small cup in the kitchen table. Make sure to do that one time every day. The reason of that is because the frowners love to drink blood. And if there isn't enough blood in the cup, let's just say they get a little angry. Rule 1A Additionally, if you poke your finger and feel sad, depressed, or any negative emotion, make sure you're not feeding or not feeling too much. The smilers hate gloominess, and you don't want them to torture you. Rule number two, I have a doll. Their name is Sophie. Make sure you're not around her too much. If you do, there are three things she will do to you. Effect one. Make you feel too dizzy, the most common side effect Sophie can do. If you get knocked out by the effect, then all I can say is that I warned you. Effect number two. Make you hear whispers, the second most common effect. The whispers will get louder and stronger after some time. If you hear a bang on the door, run to the bathroom. But if they are in the bathroom, all I can say is... Sorry. Effect number three, make you teleport into the place. Rarest effect. The place could be something you just can't describe, but you must survive for 30 minutes there to go back into my house. Rule number three, 
If Sophie disappears and you hear her whispering saying, Find me. Then find her immediately. She always likes playing hide and seek with new people. And now it's your turn to play with her. I'm sure it'll be fun before I find you. Rule 3A. If you see some things in the window telling you to stop playing, ignore them. They're just some party poopers. Rule 4A. If it's rainy outside, there will be one of the frowners looking at the rain. But always make sure that you don't interrupt their moment of peace unless you want to be decapitated and drowned. Rule number five, if you find a head inside the refrigerator, you have one to four seconds to close the fridge. If you don't do that, then you'll be the next head inside that refrigerator. Rule number six, everyone shares the same room. There's only three beds, one for me, one for Sophie, don't question me, and one for you. If there is more than three beds or a bed out of place, it's guaranteed that something will roam around at night. If that happens, go to bed early. They really don't like guests. Rule number seven. If the lights go red, leave the house. You made Sophie mad with your presence and find your car before she finds you. So, don't try to make me mad. Rule number eight, if you wake up and see that the sky is black or a dark red color, pretend you're sleeping. Ignore the banging on the door. That's all. Enjoy your stay or don't. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to the subscriber-requested Halloween Horror Stories. First, I'd like to thank everyone that sent in requests. I appreciate it. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves and take care of those around you if you can. I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good evening, or a good night. Peace, love, and light to you all. I shall see you next Halloween. <laughs>
Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.